the uh, airlines are going to be presumed uh, to be responsible for this unless they can show that they took, quote-unquote, all necessary measures to prevent it. This is Lawyer to Lawyer, the award-winning legal podcast with J. Craig Williams and Robert Ambrogi. West Coast meets East Coast, and yes, they are attorneys, bringing you the latest legal news and observations every week with the leading experts in the legal profession. Lawyer to Lawyer is sponsored by Law.com, produced right here on the Legal Talk Network. Welcome to Lawyer to Lawyer on the Legal Talk Network. We're glad you could listen today. This is Bob Ambrogi coming to you from Massachusetts. And I'm Craig Williams from sunny Southern California. I write a legal blog called May It Please the Court and have a book out called How to Get Sued. Today's show, Bob, is sponsored by Clio. It's a web-based practice management company and Landy Insurance. And uh, just just to mention my own blogs, I write the blog called Law Sites and also Legal Blog Watch for Law.com. On May 31st, Air France Flight 447 out of Rio de Janeiro bound for Paris uh, seemed to vanish into thin air. As it turns out, uh, it appears that at approximately 2 a.m., the plane had crashed into the Atlantic Ocean, killing all 228 people on board. A frantic search for passengers, uh, for pieces, uh, remnants of the crash, and for the black boxes, which would hold the key to the crash, has turned up a number of bodies, but no black boxes. And with no black boxes and a cause yet unknown, the tragedy is devastating because of the lack of answers for the victims' families. Today, we're going to look at the legal questions that are being raised. Will there be lawsuits filed against Air France? Where would the lawsuits be filed? Will they be in France, United States, Brazil, any number of other places? To help us explore these questions, we have two guests today. Joining us first is attorney Justin Green, who's a partner with the firm Kreindler & Kreindler in New York, where he focuses on aviation, products liability, maritime, and other complex litigation. Justin is a Persian Gulf War veteran who served in the United States Marine Corps as an attack helicopter pilot and aviation safety officer responsible for his squadron's flight safety and for investigating aviation accidents. As an aviation lawyer, Justin has litigated dozens of major aviation cases, including wrongful death cases that arose from airline crashes, including the September 11th terrorist attacks and Swiss Air Flight 111. Uh, Justin recently had an article in the uh, New York Law Journal uh, looking at Air France Flight 447 and some of the issues raised by that. Uh, Welcome to the show, Justin Green. Well, thank you very much, and thanks for having me. Well, Bob, our next guest is attorney John Greaves from the firm Baum, Hedlund, Aristi, and Goldman. John is an experienced airline transport pilot and former airline captain and a seasoned airline accident lawyer. Since becoming an attorney and joining Baum, Hedlund's aviation litigation team in the early 1990s, John has represented hundreds of airline accident victims in virtually every major U.S. airline disaster in the last 15 years. He was also on the legal team that negotiated one of the most significant aviation litigation achievements when the firm won as a part of the settlement in the January 8, 2003 Air Midwest Flight 5481 crash in Charlotte, North Carolina. They won the agreement of the airline and the maintenance company to deliver an unprecedented official public apology to the families of the victims for the crash. 
Welcome to Lawyer to Lawyer, Attorney John Greaves. Thank you very much. Uh, it's uh, good to be here. Thank you for having me. There seems to be a, a lot of speculation on the issue of the cause of this accident. Uh, is there any type of official word or any type of informal ex- kind of expectation about what may have happened? Well, this is Justin uh, speaking. Um, officially, uh, Air France has taken some steps to, to modify the, uh, the pitot tubes on, on the aircraft. And the pitot tubes are uh, basically pressure uh, sensors that, that help the air, airplane uh, figure out what airspeed it's flying. Um, and there is a concern that the uh, airplane um, had a, a problem with its uh, pitot uh, tube and the, and, and the model airplane has had problems in the past. Now, the official investigation is still ongoing, and, and, and the investigators and the searchers for the black boxes basically have another week or so before the black boxes stop uh, transmitting um, a single. So uh, the, invest- the official investigation is going to take quite some time. And Justin, you wrote in, in your article that, that the circumstances of this crash, crash were highly unusual. Uh, could you just explain briefly why you say that? Well, it, not unusual in the sense. Uh, it's unusual in the sense that uh, an airplane disappears in today's day and age. Most people really don't understand um, that uh, radar coverage is is only so good, and and that airplanes fly outside of radar coverage on on the large stretches across the uh, Atlantic. But it's it's very rare that you have uh, an airplane flying at cruise altitude. Um, have a problem like this, and it tells me, and, and I, I, I hope that John agrees with me, that it tells me that there's probably a mechanical problem going on. I would agree with that, Justin. So as this uh, investigation unfolds, what is what are what are the families of the victims looking at? Has there been any indication as, at this point uh, that litigation will be filed? Uh, if so, are attorneys for the victims uh, beginning to get involved in this investigation in any way? Uh, John, well, do you know? It appears that uh, this, John, it, it appears that uh, there, there's at least one uh, uh, passenger and their attorney that uh, is looking at a at a lawsuit. Uh, this would be be a a French passenger. Uh, apparently, they have uh, gotten permission from the uh, French criminal authorities to to uh, bring a bring a suit. Um, I think they call it a. The civil party status—that's that's what they call it—which uh, which allows them to uh, become uh, part of the uh, uh, criminal probe, and uh, I'm sure that a, a civil suit will follow from that. Uh, is I, I haven't heard uh, anything from any of the other families uh, talking specifically about lawsuits, but uh, they are sure to, to happen. Well, it appears that the crash. Uh, at what, as you said, happened over the Atlantic, and from reports, we've seen that bodies have been found in two separate areas. Justin, what does that tell you? Well, we, you know, we think the evidence shows that it broke apart in flight, um, and that uh, that could explain why the bodies are being found in two different areas. What what kind of problems do you see in planes that break apart midair? Well, it, it, some people have been drawing the the a connection between this aircraft and, and the American 587 accident that happened in 2001 here in New York. Uh, and then American 587, the airplane hit uh, hit some uh, wake turbulence. The pilot, in reacting to the wake turbulence, over-controlled on his rudders. Um, that overstressed the vertical tail, and the vertical tail ripped off the airplane, and everyone died. And uh, And here you have an airplane that's flying another Airbus airplane, 
flying in, in what could be turbulent uh, air. Um, and that could, uh, and now they found the vertical fin here. Um, so it, it's something that I think the investigators are looking at. I would agree with Justin that uh, this is this is a possibility. Um, there there were photos of uh, of an intact uh, vertical tail fin uh, that broke off at its root, and uh, that's exactly what happened in the 587 case. How critical is it uh, to these kinds of cases that that the black black box be recovered? Uh, how how uh, definitive can anyone be about uh, determining the cause of a crash without the black box, John? Well, there, let me ask you that. I mean, there are two. This is a really good question. I mean, for years and years, they didn't have black boxes. So um, the black boxes are two different devices. One's a, a digital a flight data recorder that records the like data, you know, the, the way the airplane's turning, the speed, and those sort of factors. And the other one is a cockpit voice recorder. Um, and in this case, um, that may be as um, valuable or more valuable than the flight data recorder. The flight data recorder will tell you what the airplane's actually doing. The cockpit voice recorder may tell you what the pilots are perceiving and, and why, you know, the airplane's doing what it's doing. And how, how necessary is it to, to have the black box in order or the black boxes in order to be able to bring a lawsuit? Can you know you mentioned that we didn't always have them, so it is it always necessary to have a black box in order to proceed with litigation? Well, this is John, it's it's not absolutely necessary, but it it, it certainly will help. Um, under the Warsaw Convention, actually the Montreal Convention now, um the uh, airlines are going to be presumed uh, to be responsible for this unless they can show that they took, quote-unquote, all necessary measures to prevent it. Um, so as far as uh, that's concerned, uh, you know, the black boxes, uh, uh, they're important to the families and they're important to the public uh, to know exactly what happened to this aircraft. And without the black boxes, uh, we may never know that. But from a legal standpoint, uh, uh, I don't think in this particular case uh, it's, it's going to uh, have any impact at all. John's absolutely right. Air France... The liability claims against Air France are very different than liability claims against potential um, component part manufacturers of Airbus. The, 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 if you sue Airbus in this case, you're going to have the plaintiff's going to have the burden of proof. And if there's missing evidence, uh, such as the black boxes, um, Airbus may come in and say, "Look, you can't meet your burden of proof because you got missing evidence." However, the, the claim against uh, Air France. Um, it's Air France's problem. If, if they can't prove that they took all necessary measures to avoid the accident, uh, they're going to have to um, be responsible to the families. What is the law that applies here? I mean, what is what law governs what under what laws would would plaintiffs sue the airlines? Would they sue manufacturers? Are there other potential defendants here? Well, this is John, uh, like uh, Justin and I just discussed. Uh, the uh, cause of action against the airline would be the Montreal Convention, um, and the the underlying law that will probably apply here would be the Death on the High Seas Act, um, particularly with with suits that might be filed in in the United States. Uh, you know, I don't know uh, how that will play out in in other jurisdictions, but uh, um, you know, the, and we, you know, we may we may be able to find uh, some component on the aircraft that uh, that failed that was manufactured in the United States that would give jurisdiction to 
any of the passengers that that might want to uh, bring a suit in the United States, uh, that would uh, that would give them a door to do that. Uh, otherwise, uh, uh, if if it's just Air France's uh, responsibility here, and uh, there isn't any uh, indication of uh, any any product uh, of a component that that might have been manufactured in the United States that that could have uh, contributed to the cause of the crash, then then um, you know the the lawsuits will have to be brought somewhere else by anyone other than United States citizens under the Montreal Convention. That's absolutely right. And um, U.S. citizen of the Montreal Convention can bring the lawsuit against Air France in the United States. If um, if you're not a U.S. Uh, resident, um, you may end up having to bring the lawsuit either in France, where France is located, and every family member has the right to file a claim against Air France in France, even if they live in Brazil or, or some other location, um, or they can uh, file where their destination is or, or where their ticket was purchased. But uh, that that's the law is really black letter on those issues. Yeah, that raises another interesting question about about uh, what uh, what venue and jurisdiction might apply is is uh, whether or not uh, you know buying tickets on on websites, for instance. Uh, you know, where where is the contract formed? Is the contract formed um, at the site uh, uh, where the website is, where the where the people are, which could be out of the country? Uh, did the United States uh, citizens uh, uh, did they use the United States website? You know, where, where the ticket was purchased is going to um, be a factor, in my opinion, uh, with respect to these jurisdiction issues that are going to come up. And what are the issues in terms of picking a forum? I mean, do do are, are plaintiffs uh, going to try and choose their home country as a, as a matter of course? Are, are defendants going to try and get these? Is there is there ability any ability to move this from forum to forum or to do some forum shopping in these cases? You're, uh, you asked a very good question. You should become an aviation lawyer with a question like that. <laughs> the bottom bottom line is uh, plaintiffs are going to file their lawsuits, um, assuming they get competent counsel. They're going to file the lawsuits in the in the jurisdiction where um, they'll have the easiest time um, with discovery, and also that the the standards of recovery will be the best. And usually that is in the United States. The defendants will, will obviously try to use the either jurisdictional defense saying that, look, we're not subject to jurisdiction in the United States, or uh, even if we are, um, the, the defense of forum nonconvenience, where they come in and say the, the U.S. is not a convenient forum. Um, in, some, in some cases, in, under the old Warsaw Convention, defendants came in and even, even though there was jurisdiction uh, under the Warsaw Convention said that the case should be dismissed anyway to go somewhere else so that they can uh, take advantage of, of worst levels, you know, lower levels of recovery in, in a system that doesn't favor plaintiffs. So there is, there is um, I wouldn't call it forum shopping, I'd call it prudent uh, um, lawyering on the part of us plaintiff's lawyers. And then on the defense side, there is definitely what I would call reverse forum shopping, where they try to move the case um, argue under the forum nonconvenience doctrine. Justin's absolutely right. And uh, uh, most of these families, if not all of them, are really looking for two things. They're, they're, they're looking for accountability, and they're looking for compensation. And uh, um, 
you know, the compensation is definitely part of the consideration, but these families want to know what happened to their family members. So they're going to be looking to a forum where uh, there will be a very, very thorough investigation uh, where all of the facts are going to come out. They're all going to be public. Uh, and, uh, you know, the United States is, is usually the, the forum of choice if, if, there is, if that choice is available. Uh, but, uh, you know, most of them are not going to be able to bring their suits in the United States. What is the interplay between information and compensation? You know, in this instance, it seems like we have a limited amount of information, and there may be some issues with uh, compensation for the families. How does the lack of information have an effect on compensation, and what forum, what jurisdiction? Is France going to be a good forum for these people to get compensation? Well, I understand. Um, I'm, I'm not a lawyer in France or in Brazil, but I understand that uh, France is better than many countries in terms of giving rights to victims. Um, but the lack of uh, the lack of evidence in this case, and the evidence that we have, I mean, one thing we haven't spoken about, there's a system on the airplane called the ACAR system that downloaded several fault messages in the time leading up to the, to the accident. Um, those fault messages are part of the evidence in the case, and they, while they, they don't give the same information by any means with what the flight data recorder and the cockpit voice recorder will provide if they're found, it does give investigators something to go off. Also, as, as John mentioned before, the vertical uh, fin of the airplane uh, being found is also very significant. So I think there is a lot of information, even though we don't have what we would expect to find uh, in, in a crash on land. Um, but as far as Air France, it's not going to help Air France in any way. It may actually hurt their chances of trying to defend themselves. Um, but it, it could potentially hurt a, a claim against Airbus. And that, that, that uh, you know, if, from the perspective of a family, if they have a great claim against Air France, um, maybe they're not going to care. But the truth is, as John said, the families want two things. They, they want to know what happened. They want to make sure it doesn't happen to someone else. Um, so from the, from the idea of aviation safety and from the interest of, of the victims of these crashes, it, it's a big blow. Yeah, Justin's right. And uh, uh, as far as uh, the, the information goes, there, there's going to be a, a very keen focus on Airbus. And and uh, if it does, you know, the the indications are that the, that the plane did break up in flight. And uh, we're going to want to know why. And the similarities uh, between this and the and the uh, American Airlines 587 case, those are both Airbuses. Those both had separations of the vertical fin at the root, and we're definitely going to want to see if there's uh, if there's some common factors uh, in, involved in that. And uh, you know that's that's going to be probably the the the, the main focus uh, of the of the investigation in the lawsuits and uh, probably in the government agencies as well. And I think it'd be terrible for the families if the, if they if the investigators can't come up with a, a cause or a probable cause of the accident. That's going to be something very difficult for not only the families to live with, but also people, those people that are concerned about aviation safety. And certainly, if I was a passenger on the airplane, I'd be a little bit worried. Which government agency is doing this investigation? In the United States, we frequently hear about the National Transportation Safety Bureau, but this has happened off the coast of Brazil in, in international waters. There'll probably be a, a, a multi 
agency investigation involved in this uh, with France, Brazil, and uh, possibly the United States. Uh, you know, there were American citizens on board, and and uh, the United States uh, has uh, the kind of resources that uh, that are second to none. And uh, I would imagine that the French and Brazilian authorities would would seek the uh, the uh, participation of the United States National Transportation Safety Board. That's right. And, you know, there's, there's, this is a kind of case that France may take the lead on. Um, I know the NTSB has already reached out um, and offered assistance and, and sent a go team. Um, but uh, this is a case that it's probably going to be France with the lead with the Brazilians assisting. We're going to take a short break right now. Uh, please stay with us. We will be back in just a few moments to discuss more about the crash of Air France Flight 447. Imagine how much easier managing your practice would be if your practice management software was web-based. Your practice would be available anywhere you have an internet connection, completely secure, backed up continuously, and most importantly, easy to use, allowing you to spend your valuable time building your practice instead of managing technology. Start simplifying your practice today with Clio. Sign up for a free, fully functional 30-day trial at www.goclio.com. Use promotional code L2L for a 25% discount. Right from the beginning, you know, I knew I was important. Can you say that about the insurance agency helping to protect your legal practice? Lawyers like Rebecca Brody are confident working with the Herbert H. Landy Insurance Agency, knowing they have the best professional liability insurance coverage for the best possible price. It is about customer service. I think that's what we like to promote in our business. You know, we did have some kind of specialty questions. We did have some concerns. It was really great, and it really felt like if I'm that well taken care of, it made it possible for me to go and take care of, you know, take care of my business and take care of my clients. Give us a call at 800-336-5422 or visit our website at landy.com. That's L-A-N-D-Y dot com. 60 years of experience. Well, welcome back to Lawyer to Lawyer on the Legal Talk Network. We'd like to welcome back attorney Justin Green, who's a partner with the firm of Kreindler and Kreindler, and attorney John Greaves from the firm of Baum, Hedlund, Aristi, and Goldman. Well, gentlemen, it's been reported that the CEO of Air France has uh, made an advance of somewhere in the neighborhood of 17.5 euros, or U.S. 24,400, for each of the 228 victims with no strings attached. I know that you're not, neither of you are lawyers in France, but what, what kind of effect does that have legally? It's something that uh, they do in every case, and uh, legally it doesn't mean anything. It, it's a good thing for the family, for, the, for Air France to do, um, and I hope that Air France takes into consideration special needs that certain families may have uh, who have lost uh, you know, the breadwinner and offer further advances. What are the damages that can be recovered by a victim in, in these cases? John? Well, there's two categories of, of damages. Uh, uh, possibly three, depending on how egregious the conduct is in a particular case. But uh, there's economic damages, and then there's what's uh, commonly referred to as non-economic damages. The economic damages uh, uh, focus on uh, uh, people. It, it, the, the focus is on the de- dependents. And, and when they lose a breadwinner and uh, someone that has been uh, uh, covering their sustenance and supporting them and, and – uh, 
and that sort of thing. They're they're entitled to damages based on that. And uh, the non-economic damages, uh, the focus is on the loss of the relationship uh, of the loved one, uh, the care, comfort, society, guidance, uh, all of the all of the uh, intangible things that uh, that uh, a family member provides to other family members, and uh, they'd be entitled to compensation for that loss. And then the third one that I'm thinking of is punitive damages, which are are not recoverable under the Montreal. Uh, convention, however, uh, there there may very well be punitive damages in in a given case available. Uh, whether you get them or not is another question, but uh, th- could be available uh, in 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 a products case uh, with a similar case to this. Uh, should the uh, evidence uh, support that? And are there any limits on their recovery? Are the, are the damages capped in any way? Well, they could be. It just depends on what damages law is going to apply. Um, well, under the Montreal right. Convention, there's there's no nothing there that would cap it. There's there's a there's a kind of a cap. Um, it it goes up to 100,000 SDRs, which is about 154,000 dollars nowadays. Um, if you uh, they they can only avail themselves of that of that cap. However, if they prove that they took all necessary measures to avoid the accident, and that's a that's their burden, uh, Air France's burden. So I I don't think that. In this case, that that uh, I'd be seriously concerned about that cap. As John was just saying, however, um, the Montreal Convention doesn't supply the the rule of damages. It's, it's a pass through to um, whatever law may apply, given uh, the 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 accident where the accident occurred, to given the decedent's um, uh, domicile, and given a lot of other factors. So it would it would be up to you know the local court. For example, if if you filed in the U.S. Clearly, the Death on the High Seas Act would apply. That's the federal law that applies in, in accidents occurring on the high seas, um, and, the, and that that would be the the law of that would be the damages provided, and there would be no cap. Now, another another country may have a cap, um, but that would be up to um, we'd have to look at each individual case to figure out what damages are going to apply. Obviously, the crew and the captain and the co-pilot uh, died in the crash as well. What type of recovery are the crew members and their families going to uh, see? You know, in the United States would be covered by work comp, but yeah, right. I was just going to say, I can only really speak to what might happen to a U.S. Uh, pilot or crew member in this situation. Uh, normally, there's workers' compensation, which is uh, which is the exclusive uh, remedy uh, under under most state laws. There are exceptions, but they're they're pretty hard to overcome. You know, the uh, the injury would uh, pretty much have to be intentional on the part of the employer before you could get around that. But uh, how that might play out in in France or Brazil or any other country, I I I, I, I don't know. And it would probably be that they have the right to sue the products uh, manufacturers or if there's an, another maintenance outfit, but not Air France. Correct. Justin and John, I know you both represent victims in these cases, but if you were to, uh, if the shoe were to be on the other foot, perhaps, and, and you were to be uh, defending an airline in, in, in a case like this, uh, how would you go about that? I mean, how, what what kinds of defenses can an airline raise in, in a in a case as as uh, upsetting and shocking as this? I would, uh, if I were the defendants, knowing the law and knowing the facts of this case, I would I would have a press conference saying that we're not going to defend um, on anything. We're we're willing to. 
uh, settle the cases for um, appropriate damages in each one. And, and as, um, as as John got another case uh, that we apologize to the families for what happened. I think I still hear the plaintiff's lawyer coming through there, but no, it's, <laughs> okay. it's true though. I mean, there's no there's no real defense. Um, I mean, they they can they can try one, but I don't think that uh, it's just they're going to spend they're going to throw good money after bad. Yeah. Right. Yes, yeah, is right. The, the, the best they can do here, really, uh, in most circumstances, is is uh, uh, you know soothe the public with with uh, uh, public relations statements, like Justin just said. You know, oh well, gee, we're going to take responsibility and we're going to pay full compensation. Where the argument comes in is, what is full compensation? Uh, they're they're going to fight us tooth and nail. They, they always do on damages. You know, they they want to minimize the the amount of compensation that they pay, uh, and and call it appropriate and fair compensation. But uh, what what they offer is, I'll go so far as to say, a hundred percent of the time, uh, far less than than what adequate compensation is. And and uh, therein lies the. The, the big fight with respect to the damages. And the, and the other big fight is that um, Air France would be looking towards uh, Airbus uh, to participate um, and, uh, and may be uh, unable or hesitant to do the right thing by the families because they, they don't want to hurt any rights they have to, to claim against uh, Airbus for what happened. And that second fight, the, 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 the second fight uh, between two defendants very often becomes the tail wagging the dog of the litigation. And that's what happened in American 587. American Airlines said, hey, Airbus, uh, you're responsible. Your vertical uh, fin fell off the airplane. And Airbus comes in and fights, you know, a five-year fight against Air- American Airlines. And the, and the plaintiffs end up being, uh, having to basically hold, a, you know, wait around until, uh, we're not waiting, but we're, we're involved in a, a massive litigation where, where American Airlines is clearly liable and, and Airbus is clearly liable, but uh, because of the fight between the two defendants, the case gets very uh, much protracted. That's true, and uh, often what will happen is they will wait until uh, you know all of the passenger cases uh, are resolved, and then they'll really start going at each other. That uh, uh, that happened uh, uh, with the uh, crash in Columbia. Back in 1995, when the when the American Airlines um, 757 crashed into the mountains after the after the crew lost situation situational awareness. And do these cases all proceed as individual cases, or do they get uh, consolidated in some way? I guess that depends on the jurisdiction question. But uh... in the United States, they they're consolidated. Uh, they're they're filed individually uh, and then ultimately consolidated either under. 28 U.S.C. 1407, which is the multi-district litigation rule, or under under some other rule, um, and one judge will ultimately hold, you know handle them for pretrial proceedings. What do you find happens with respect to the compensation regarding insurance? Are you finding that Airbus and and the airline companies have their own coverages, or is this money they're pulling out of their pocket to pay to the victims? Well, they're insured, all right. There's, insurance is usually not an issue in these cases. Uh, there's, in fact, I've never heard of an airline case where where there wasn't sufficient insurance to, to cover these, uh, except for maybe the the uh, September 11th uh, matter. That 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 was the only thing, uh, the only case I can think of where that was any kind of concern at all. But there was 
billions of dollars worth of property damage and and uh, all all kinds of other things that you don't normally see in an airline crash. Well, we are uh, about out of time for this program, but before we wrap up the show, we would like to give each of you an opportunity to give your final thoughts on this topic or closing thoughts, and also to tell our listeners how they can follow up with you. Uh, and uh, let's start with Justin Green. Well, I, I think my closing thought would be, uh, in case any uh, victim, um, victim's family is, is hearing this or someone who knows someone, that um, the, the families have uh, a long time, two years, to, to bring a claim. Uh, in the next, uh, I think it's probably already happening already that some lawyers are, are chasing after their cases, and that's something that uh, that I think legitimate lawyers don't do um, so that they shouldn't be, not be worried about that. In the United States, there's a 40-day, 45-day moratorium where, uh, because of past abuses, uh, the federal laws prohibits lawyers from reaching out and contacting them. And I'd, I'd also suggest that they have very solid claims and that uh, and that I'm very hopeful that uh, the, the investigators, number one, will find the black boxes, and number two, will come to a conclusion as to what the cause of this accident is so that other people might not be put in the same position that they are in the future. And anyone who wants to contact me can uh, give me a call at my office. It's 212 973-3403, or uh, my email is jgreen, G-R-E-E-N, just like the color, at Kreinler.com. Kreinler's K-R-E-I-N-D-L-E-R. And thank you very much for having me. Thanks a lot, Jason. And John? Yes, I'd, I would uh, I would mirror uh, pretty much everything that Justin said. Uh, and uh, if anyone uh, would care to get in touch with me for any further information or, or whatever, uh, I can be reached at 800-827-0087, and my email is jgreaves, and I'll spell that. It's J-G-R-E-A-V as in Victor, E-S, at Bomb Headland Law. I'll spell that B-A-U-M-H-E-D-L-U-N-D. LAW.com. Great. Well, John and Justin, thank you very much for your participation this morning. And Bob, that does it for this week's Lawyer to Lawyer. To our listeners, remember you can check out all of our Lawyer to Lawyer shows at LegalTalkNetwork.com. My thanks to our guests for being on the program today, for giving us their time, and a reminder to our listeners that we're also in the podcast library on iTunes. Craig, I look forward to talking to you next week. And we'll be back then to discuss another great legal topic. And when you want legal, think lawyer to lawyer. Thanks for listening to Lawyer to Lawyer with Robert Ambrogi and J. Craig Williams. Every week, a new legal topic that you won't want to miss. We hope you'll listen again and check out our other shows on the Legal Talk Network. Lawyer to Lawyer has been sponsored by Law.com. The Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast, your resource for the tips and tactical advice you need to grow your business. Plus, keep up with the news and commentary you crave to stay one step ahead. It's hosted by me, Guy Sakalakis. And me, Conrad Song. Every other week, we break down the issues holding back your marketing strategy and talk about the changes you need to be prepared for. Check out the Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube.